You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Hey everybody, I'm Chris. For those of you who are new, uh, along with Sarah and Charlie, who you've met, I help, I'm part of the leadership team here at Missio. And so uh, I just want to share just for a few moments, uh, we're going to be looking in Genesis, the basically the second half of Genesis, the last third of Genesis, actually, the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible. And so we're going to touch on a guy named Joseph, who has a long, long story. But before we do that, I just want to, oh, and we're going to do this briefly because it's cold out, and so you want a shorter sermon. You're welcome. So um, what I want to do before I do that is have you turn back to some people around you, and let's just acknowledge that it is a year uh, since the, 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 the pandemic has been going on. And so a year ago, uh, we as a leadership team, Charlie and Sarah and I had this text message string going on like a couple days ago, a year ago, saying like, what do we do? Do we meet on Sunday? Do we not meet on Sunday? And just like, okay, we're going to make the decision. We're going to do a Zoom gathering. We're just going to meet on Zoom. We're not going to meet in person. And so a year ago, we did that. And we had been meeting inside over here in this Lutheran church for like the three years before that, every Sunday at 430. And we said, nope, we're just going to go to Zoom this week. And what happened was we disrupted this pattern. There was a pattern that we'd been doing as a church family for like three years, and we disrupt. it was a pattern. Every Sunday we do this thing, we disrupted it. I wonder what over the last year, and we thought, hey, we're just going to do this for the next week or two weeks or three weeks until we figure all this out. <laughs> I wonder, is there something, what was a pattern that you had in your life a year and a week ago that a year ago got disrupted? There was a pattern, something you did every day, you did every week, that got disrupted, that you thought was going to be disrupted for a couple days, a week, or maybe a month or so, you know, until this thing's over. And now it's still disrupted. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I'm just going to give you, I'm going to go back into those groups you were with, just talking about how you deal with stress, and uh, talk on your groups about that. I'm just going to give you like one minute, so if you don't have something that jumps to mind right away, that's fine, somebody else can share. Ready? Go. There's something in us, uh, as human beings, there's something in us that picks up and we live according to patterns. And we kind of pick that up and we expect, and there's this psychological thing where we expect patterns to continue. That's why magic works. Because it disrupts patterns. It's an illusion, Michael. It's an illusion that something gets disrupted. Four people got that. Thank you. The rest of you, it's called Arrested Development. Check it out. So, um, sorry, now I've lost my own train of thought. Patterns are something that we're trained to pick up on. And so as you're reading through the book of Genesis, there's 50 chapters. In the first 11 chapters, there is a pattern that you start to pick up on. And it's that it keeps getting worse. That you, you see something, it's a setup of a scene and it's bad. So the, the, the serpent enters the garden and you see they end up eating the fruit. It's bad. And then the next scene... The next scene, their children, they have two sons, and they set it up. There's these two sons, and one's jealous of the other, and it's bad, ends up in murder. And then you have the flood, and then the tower. So the first 11 chapters are this descent, and you start to see this pattern that it just descends down and down and down till it hits rock bottom. And then in Genesis 12, 
Genesis 12 through 50 is what we've been looking at the last three weeks. This, there's this new pattern that emerges that God is using a people to bring his blessing to the whole world, to get his creation project back on track. And so it starts out with he calls Abram. And Abram has to leave the land of his father. So there's all of his family that you never really hear about. But there's one person, Abram, who becomes Abraham. And that's the one through whom God's working. And if you're an Israelite who, fast forward, has just been rescued out of slavery and you're going into the land and you're going to become God's people, you're reading Genesis and you're like, okay, this is our story. This is about who we are. And there's this pattern. So Abram has two sons. He has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Oh, sorry, Ishmael and Jacob. Isaac, why am I losing my mind right now? Somebody. What? Isaac. Oh my goodness, sorry. Ishmael, it's going to be a long, it's going to go, we're going to go long if I keep losing my track. Sorry, you guys are glad you're in the sun. Um, Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael, so if there's two sons, the blessing does not go through Ishmael, it goes through Isaac. And then the next story, so the pattern then continues on through Isaac. Isaac has some sons. Jacob and Esau, they're twins. And Jacob and Esau, and it ends up Jacob's the hero of the story. He's the one that the story keeps talking about. And it goes through Jacob, the blessing and the line, not through Esau. Okay? So there's this pattern that's going. Now, you get to Genesis 37. In Genesis 37 through 48... That's a lot of chapters, 37 through 48. There's 12 sons, and the whole thing is about Joseph, one of those sons. Joseph, at the beginning, is the one that Jacob likes, or Israel likes, more than all the other sons. He gives them this technicolor dream coat, and he's wearing his coat, and his father likes him more than anybody else, than all the other sons, and he has this dream, and in his dream, his father and all the other brothers are bowing down before him, and Joseph, he's kind of an idiot, he goes and he tells his brothers, hey, I had this dream that you guys are all going to bow down before me. They don't get really excited about that. They're kind of bummed about that dream and kind of frustrated. They go out, and they say, hey, this guy Judah, one of the he's like, hey, let's sell him to some slaves. Like, let's leave him dead. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. They end up selling him to slaves. Reuben, the, the oldest brother, Reuben's like, no, let's not do it, guys. They're like, whatever, get rid of him. And they, killed, they try to get Joseph killed. But Joseph escapes. He goes with some slaves. He ends up becoming second in command in Egypt. It's this long story. You can read all about it. But it's all about Joseph. Joseph's the one that can interpret dreams. Joseph is the one that ends up saving all of his other brothers. Joseph is the man. He's the one that this is all about. And Reuben, from time to time, he's trying to say some different things. He's trying to be the good older brother and, like, care for his brother, care for things. But Reuben's kind of there. And then there's this other character, Judah. We start hearing about Joseph in chapter 37. Chapter 38 is all about Judah making a mess of everything. Judah has a, couple, has a son who dies, and his wife, Tamar, the tradition is that Judah's got to give his next son to be married to Tamar to carry on the line. And he, he does that, but that son dies. And then the next son won't marry him, won't marry Tamar. And so Tamar ends up going to this other town, and she hears that her father-in-law is coming to town, and she, she sets herself up and pretends, veils her face and pretends she's a 
a prostitute. And Judah, and Ta- Judah ends up with Tamar. Tamar gets pregnant by her father-in-law, Judah. And then Tamar ends up having to go, and then Judah finds out that Tamar's pregnant. He's like, let's have her killed. She needs to die for what she's done. And then Tamar's like, oh, whose is this thing? And Judah's like, oh, that's mine. Judah's a, Judah's a mess. He was the one that really instigated the getting rid of Joseph, trying to kill him. Judah's the one who does this with his daughter-in-law. But Joseph's the hero. And the pattern, remember, is that the one who is forefront in the story, as the story's being told, that's the one through whom the line's going to go on through. And so we're sitting here, and we want to know, what is the line? Who's going to be the one through whom the blessing is going to come down to us? And obviously, it's going to be Joseph. So I want to encourage you to read Genesis 37 to 48 this week, if you have time. It's an incredible story all about Joseph. And Judah's kind of in there messing things up here and there as well. And then something happens, though, in 49. So if you have a Bible, open or open your app to Genesis chapter 49. At the end of this incredible story, I mean, even people who don't believe in, in Jesus or don't believe in God, that you'd look at this Genesis 37 to 48 and you'd be like, this is an, it's just incredible literature. It's an incredible story. It's incredible what happens and, and how it's told. At the end of it, Joseph has rescued his brothers and his father Jacob. They've all moved down to Egypt to avoid a famine. And they now get set up in this land of Goshen, and it's going to be great. And then this is what happens. This other pattern, at the end, as the father is about to die, as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are about to die, they lay their hands on their sons, and they bless them. And so here's the blessing where Jacob blesses Joseph and says, you're the one. Remember that dream at the beginning that all your brothers are going to bow down before you? Here's the blessing where all the brothers, everybody's going to bow down before Joseph, and he's the one through whom the line is going to continue. It says, Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Jacob and Israel, is the, it's the name that his name got changed to. So interesting. I thought it would be Joseph that he's going to... But he actually starts with Reuben, the oldest, which that kind of makes sense because Reuben's the firstborn, so that's the one through whom the blessing should go through. So, okay, so it's going to be Reuben is first, and he's going to get the blessing. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Whoa. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Okay, so it's not Reuben. If you're looking for patterns, you're like, well, that still makes sense because it's going to be Joseph. It's all about Joseph. Joseph's going to be the one. But it's not. He says something to Simeon and he says something to Levi in verses 5 through 7. And then here's this massive pattern disruption. That if you're reading this for the first time, or probably not even reading, if you're listening, if you're a an Israelite, and you're listening to this being read, you're just sitting around the campfire and you're listening to, you've listened to all the stories in 38, 37 through 48, and now you get here. What you read right here, starting in verse 8, 
is going to blow your mind. It makes no sense. Judah is a disaster. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Whoa. The scepter, the king's scepter, shall not depart from Judah. Judah, you and your offspring that are going to rule over all, the other, all your other brothers. Not only that, the nations shall come and bow down before you. There is going to come, it says, through the line of Judah, not from Joseph. Pattern disruption, what's going on? What is this all about? Three things. Three things I want you to see. One is it's a call, it would have been a call for Israel, and I think it's a call for us to reject missional arrogance. To reject missional arrogance. Here's what I mean by that. What we're called to reject, what I'm calling us to reject as a people, is this. Israel, who would have been reading this, they were the people through whom God was working to bring his blessing to all the nations. We, as God's people today, as Christ's people, we believe that we, it's God who is at work. We're not doing that. We're not going to bring it about. But God is gracious to work through us. In Israel, all throughout their history, all throughout the Old Testament, they had this temptation to think, hey, we are blessed by God. We have what it says, in the oracles of God. We, look at us. We have this all. Look at how great we are. We're so awesome. We're wonderful. And when it flips it and says, no, it's actually Judah is the one through whom your blessing is coming. Hey, it's not about you. It's not because you're so great. It's not because you're so much better. It's not because you're the hero of the story. I think there's a reminder here for us as God's people that just because God has called us into his story, he's called us to be agents of his mission, to be a blessing to the world, to be the new humanity, to be all this. It's not because we're so great. Often it's in spite of that. But God chooses to work through whom he decides to work. And would we have a humility, would we reject arrogance, and would we have a humility that God would choose to work through such broken, such fragile people as us? He chose to work through Judah, and he chooses to work through us. Would it give us a humility And when we reject missional arrogance. Number two, expect pattern disruption. I think it would call as Israel is listening and they they see the pattern from Genesis 1 through 11 of it going down. They see the pattern of Genesis 12 through 48 of it going positive and he's choosing one and not the other. And then there's this disruption. And realize again that God will choose to disrupt things. It wasn't just a year ago today that because of the pandemic, because this virus happened to be in the world and come through and all this, that that's what disrupted. But 
God himself can disrupt patterns. And often he'll want to do that. To remind us that he is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is working. And then third, third is this. So I had, if you're taking notes, you notice I said reject, expect. And then I, I was working all week on what the third word is. It felt like it needed to end with ECT, right? I want you to, to reject missional arrogance, to expect pattern disruption. And so I really felt like the third word needed to end with ECT, and I just found it this morning. I searched, I Google searched, like, words that end in ECT. There's some really fun words, like, 12, there's some 12-letter words that end with ECT. There's all these words, and I might have missed this one. I don't know how I knew what this word even meant. I probably would have scanned right over it. But the word is genuflect. Has anybody ever heard of that word, genuflect? To genuflect means to bow down, to bend your knee. And so genuflect the lion. Genuflect the lion. In Genesis 3, listen to this, track with me, ready? In Genesis 3.15, they've rebelled against the living God, their Lord. Adam and Eve did, the first people, they rebelled against God. And there's curses that are put on them, but God says, through the, the, there's going to be, through the seed, through one of the offspring of the woman, through the offspring, the, the serpent, the enemy, is going to bite his heel, but there will be an offspring who one day will crush the head of the enemy. And what many scholars think as they read Genesis is that the rest of Genesis, and you could say the rest of the Bible, is about tracing the line of the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Tracing the one, as we live in this broken and messed up world, tracing the one who will finally one day come and step on and crush the head of the enemy and put all the brokenness away and make the world the way it's finally supposed to be again. And Genesis traces that from 3.15 all the way through. It's tracing the line. That's why you have these fathers and sons, and it's tracing who is the son by which the blessing is going to go. And here it comes through Judah. And he says to Judah, you are a lion. And he says, one day you are a lion and your sons are going to be lions and there will be a lion from the tribe of Judah. There is going to be a lion of Judah who is going to hold the scepter forever and all the nations will bow down and he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as we get through the story of Joseph, that actually becomes the story of Judah. And we see we're now going to trace Judah throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament until it leads to Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so what the story of Joseph is actually teaching us and why this is here in Genesis 49 is to remind us that we are genuflecting. Our lives are called to bow down before the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we do that with our lives. We do that in our missional communities. We do that as we engage with humility and mission. And even when the patterns of our lives become disrupted and they get all messed up, we realize that the one thing that stays the same is that Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, has come and he will come again. He has come and he has conquered Satan's sin and death on the cross in his resurrection and he will one day finally come to finally step on the head of this enemy and end it for good.
And until that day, we'll continue coming, sometimes inside here at this Lutheran church, sometimes out here at 9 a.m. on the lawn. Maybe if we're still out here, when it gets hotter, we'll move to 8 a.m. on the lawn because it gets hot. And then maybe we'll end up meeting somewhere else. I don't know, maybe at the friends meeting hall right over there. Maybe another church building. Maybe Charlie and his church leadership, or church and his Tempe leadership group. Maybe there's somebody in the city of Tempe that's just got like a great space for us to meet in. Whatever we do, as we do that, we're going to continue coming here. No matter what patterns get disrupted, we're going to continue coming in humility, saying, God, would you use us? And coming here, bowing down, genuflecting before the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so in that, we come to the table. And we've been doing this liturgy. If you have your handout, I'd invite you to grab your handout, turn to the next page. And we've inserted this, uh, really wanting to say, hey, coming to the table is not just the end of the sermon, but this is why we gather. We gather to come to the table together, to genuflect, to bow before the Lord. If you'd read the bold together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Something interesting about prayer, as Charlie's been talking about prayer this month, prayer, we pray to God and we talk to him. But there's something beautiful about communal prayer. We're talking to each other as well. So as I read these words, I'm reading them, as I'm saying these, I'm saying these to, to our Father. I'm also saying this to you, that you would be reminded of what's true. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death, we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sins, whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood. 
and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. I invite you to come to the table, the gifts of God for the people of God.